In spring 2017, the Ithacan released an article about cultural taxation at the college, a term that describes the extra service burden that faculty of color have at predominantly white institutions. In spring 2018, the Ithacan released another article about how women faculty take on more than what's in their contract. But the recent faculty load survey that was distributed at the college had results that didn't line up with this reporting. Today on Past Deadline, I'm joined by staff writers Elizabeth Henning and Alexis Menor to talk about their front page story describing how experts and faculty at the college are critical about the results of this faculty load survey. The survey found that faculty of color reported they were doing more work than their white counterparts, and also that female faculty reported they were doing less service work than male faculty members. Although the cultural taxation on faculty of color aligns with what the Ithacan had previously reported in spring of 2017, the burden on women goes against what was previously reported in spring of 2018. This left many faculty and experts who specialize in this area of study question the validity of this survey and its results. Especially given the low number of responses, with only 25% of all faculty responding to this survey, it raised serious questions about how accurately these results represented the feelings of faculty on campus. Henning and Menor have joined me today to dive deeper into this story and talk about the process behind it. Thanks for coming on today, guys. Glad to be here. So the Ithacan does an awesome job at having this beat reporter system. Um, I know when I was uh, a staff writer, I was the faculty council beat reporter, and I know that this story actually came out of um, a faculty council meeting, if I'm, if I'm correct. These results were presented there. Are either one of you the faculty council beat writer? No. So how did you guys get assigned on this story? <laughs> so um, we were in our staff meeting like normal and I was actually the initial like I was actually the one initially assigned to it so um, they were just reading off the stories that we had for the week and I was like oh that sounds kind of interesting um, yeah and I had no idea at the time that it would turn into this huge big long project that um, Alexis also ended up getting assigned to so that we could you know actually get it done but so yeah so that's kind of how it happened yeah, no, after a couple weeks, like, one of our <laughs> editors, Maggie, just, like, texted me and was like, hey, Liz needs some help on this. Do you want to, you know, contribute? So can you guys kind of explain the co-authoring process and, like, why Maggie reached out to you? What was your job, Alexis, to come in and help Liz? Um, I just did some extra reporting, like, getting more sources, like, professors to talk to. Yeah, so at that point... I had started reaching out to some national sources, so like some people who had done research on the topic and published papers, and um, working with uh, David Gondek, who presented the survey. So I was working on getting in contact with them, and I really wasn't able, like I didn't have the time to reach out to faculty on campus. Um, so yeah, that's where I left. How'd you guys go about co writing it because sometimes when you have two writers on a story you have two different styles or two different tones in there um, in the way that they word things so how'd you guys make that flow really nicely I think honestly it's a big credit to Maggie because yeah. like we um I don't know it's almost the story's almost written in two halves like mm -hmm. um and I had like I wrote the lead and like most of the beginning research and then Alexis like really finished it off and like tied it off with a good ending and I think Maggie did a lot to like help us smooth out the transition. The Ithacan and national experts, um, well the Ithacan from their reporting in the past and national experts that you guys had weigh in on this story um, were kind of questioning the results of this survey 
And since there is that kind of like juxtaposition of this is what the Ithacan had found in the past, this is what national experts are, have found, and now this survey brings up these results that kind of go against that. Why is it important to report on a story that maybe doesn't have a clear definitive answer? Um, so I think part of it is just that people understand that like it's a complex topic. Um, and also because it doesn't have a definitive answer compared to like we might have thought it did in the past and now that answer is not necessarily there or as clear as we might want it in the context of our school because the data set is pretty small. So it's important to look at that in terms of um, like, yeah, the wider scope of the research. Yeah, and this story is so important that even though it doesn't have like a clear answer, it still does need to be told. Yeah, definitely. Uh, going off of the small samples or the small survey results that we got back, you know, only 25% of faculty were actually uh, responding to this survey, even though 50%, I believe, had opened it. Um, what's so problematic about a small number like that when you try to do a survey to get the pulse of your entire faculty on a campus? So I know just um, like one specific example that was actually in the published survey results um, that if you have fewer people, if one person gives an answer that's like way far off from everybody else, it can sort of skew the average. So for example, there was one faculty member from the, I'm pretty sure it was from the School of Business who reported like 30 hours of service, which skewed the data and like there had to be a note made about that like in that section of the report. So, um, but even, yeah, like if we're looking at only 22 of the respondents um, were faculty of color. So, like, when you're looking at only 22 people, like, it's really hard to say anything is definitive. In the past, the Ithacan has reported on faculty taking on more work than what's in their contract, and also um, specifically with faculty of color and women faculty on campus. Um, can you just describe as a refresher for the audience that maybe hasn't read those stories in the past why it's so problematic that faculty are taking on this overwhelming amount of work outside of what they're expected to do just kind of give us a refresher on um, the struggles that that might entail um, well from as far as uh, faculty of color the issue is this idea of cultural taxation where because they tend to be so underrepresented in the demographic of the total faculty at the college, um, they get asked to serve on more committees and do more service work in general because um, institutions want to have like diverse committees and they want to yeah have an, have like a representative sample of people, but there aren't that many. But when there aren't that many faculty of color on campus, then the same people get asked to do the same thing repeatedly. Um, so they end up doing a lot more service work, especially on committees and their white counterparts. And also, um, for both women and faculty of color, they, students will often seek them out because they feel that they can relate to them in a way that maybe, like, um, so like if you have a female student, uh, yeah, like that would seek out a female professor for because you'd be better able to connect with them than maybe a male professor. And then all this service that they're that these professors are doing, this can 
it can make it hard for them to manage their time out of their classroom to spend time with their families to get tenure like all this very important stuff that they should and need to do what is it like to write a story that kind of goes against what people would assume the results of a survey would be um, especially when they're like national experts and the Ithacan's previous reporting kind of uh, puts into question the, the accuracy. What is it like to talk to people about a, such a controversial topic? Maybe? Um, it can be, can be very hard <laughs> to get people to talk to you. And so we both like went door to door, emailed, sent many, many emails <laughs> to so many, many, many professors. <laughs> and all of them would be like, I'm sorry, I'm too busy, or I just rather pass. So we couldn't, we, we had a very hard time getting professors to talk to us about this issue. It's also kind of, it's also kind of difficult to frame it to people like, okay, this is a thing we've reported on in the past. So people kind of have this general idea, but then you're like, oh yeah, by the way, that's not exactly what happened. So it just kind of makes for an awkward introduction. Were the faculty that you reached out to aware that the survey had been out and the results were uh, open for them? Some did, but some didn't. Like, I'd get emails and professors would be like, I'm sorry, I don't know what that is. Like, could you give me some context or just, I don't know what that is. Like, I never saw it, so. Yeah, I had a few, some did know about it and some had looked at the results and read the survey, but then there were others who were like, I haven't read it and I don't have time to, I'd rather not comment because I don't feel well-versed in it. So. Mm -hmm. Your national sources were really great in this story. They, their areas of research were like spot on with what you guys were talking about, which is awesome to see. Um, but I have to say, like, what, can you explain to our audience like why these national sources are needed when you are doing all this research on your own? What, what do they add? Um, as a journalist, like writing a big story like this, what do those outside opinions add to the substance of your article? So I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before with the small scope of Ithaca College. Like um, we have, yeah, relative, like we're a relatively small college. So it's important that we look at even like larger colleges and universities where there's a larger sample size and people um, are able to get more data points because then you'll be more able to get um, consistent results and you'll the results are a little bit more trustworthy than um, what we're looking at here. But also just somebody to kind of break the bubble so we get self-contained, like we're very self-contained here and um, it's important to see that this isn't something that's isolated to just Ithaca College and it's a thing that affects people like faculty members of institutions all over the country. Also, since your uh, national sources were so spot on, how did you go about finding people that would be really well-versed in this? I did um, a lot of, well, I started by looking at the Ithacan's past reporting because obviously you need to know what your paper's covered before. Um, and I sort of branched off of the surveys and the research that they had done and started looking for similar like taglines and other studies and stuff that had been done and papers that had been published specifically along that idea of cultural taxation. And that's how I found um, the sources that I used. I know in the past that Ithaca has covered extensively the faculty union strikes that were happening and the faculty union trying to um, 
negotiate with the college, uh, especially for the adjuncts for better pay and just more job security. And this happened um, before you guys got here, since you guys are freshmen. But um, a lot of concerns that arose during that time were that adjunct faculties were really being underpaid and they were overworked. And this kind of, even though it's not the same thing, kind of goes along those lines of faculty being overworked and not necessarily talking about the pay. But do you think that this could maybe tie into a larger issue at Ithaca College of faculty just not being supported in the way that they maybe need to to have a, to sustain themselves and their lifestyles? I mean, definitely. <laughs> like, professors they put in a lot of hard work in the classroom outside of it helping these students. So they should get compensated for that. Well, thanks for coming on today, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to another season of Past Deadline. I'm your host, Sierra Guardiola. If you'd like to hear more, check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.